Hello and welcome into the Mavs Draft Podcast. My name is Jared alongside Mr. Mavs Draft himself, Richard Stamen. What's going on today, Richard? Not too much, not too much. Uh, happy to be back doing this and got two really fun guards in today's scouting reports. We do. I think before we uh, get into that, there's a bit of an elephant in the room that uh, that needs to be addressed. We're recording this on Friday, June 18th, so um, kind of once all the um, now that all the dust has settled regarding uh, Donnie Nelson and Rick Carlisle, um, we are Mavs draft. So, I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, I, I want to say I didn't see it coming, but after game six, that timeout, you saw Luca's reaction. There's just so like, it just felt like it was inevitable. Right. I, I just, I don't know. Donnie, it, it had been 20, what, 23 years, like with the team. I don't know. It's at this point in, in a way it's, it wasn't anything they did wrong, but it, if you're not part of the solution, you're probably part of the problem. And it's unfortunate that it had to be painted that way. But if it's the right step in the right direction, then sometimes it hurts. But Carlisle is still the greatest coach in Mavs history. And nobody can take that away from him. Yeah, for sure. It's it's really tough because they've been with the organization for so long. They brought us a championship. They've done so many great things. Um, but at the same time, you know, we haven't gotten past the first round in over a decade at this point. Um, and something's got to change eventually. Sometimes it's, you know, again, not, not that they did anything wrong. You just need a change of pace. You need new voices in the room. Um, and, you know, huge credit to, uh, Tim Cato over the, at the athletic, um, you know, dropping that article that kind of showed the dysfunction in the Mavericks organization, obviously starting at the very top, um, but hopefully uh, the the new brass can come in and have a more um, more organized and maybe a more modern point of view. Um, and I don't know. I'm, I'm excited to see what they do. Um, you know, obviously, Cuban's got a ton of resources. Hopefully he's um, you know, he kind of gets the hint, steps back a little bit. Um, and and lets the basketball minds do what what he pays them to do. Yeah, and I mean, you know, he hired Dirk. What was it like today? I think. And yeah, uh, today this is Friday, so I don't know. I, I there's options, and the Mavs pretend to be pretty modern, using terms like analytics. But are they actually that modern? Like, I don't know. They they seem like they present themselves as modern, but aren't actually entirely. So that's something where it's like, let's see it actually have them put their money where the, where their mouth is. For sure. Um, I mean, we could dedicate a whole episode to this, but we are a draft show. I just wanted to, to talk about that briefly uh, because we do have Mavs in our name. Um, and, and kind of another, uh, I, I kind of teased you about this on Twitter, um, you know, with Oklahoma city, Oklahoma city, excuse me, having like 59 <laughs> out of the 60 draft picks, uh, maybe maybe one of them is uh, is a target for Dallas, maybe at the top of the second round or at the end of the second round. If um, if maybe there's a player that that they're worried they may not be able to to snap up an undrafted free agency. Yeah, I do think that the options to be able to get a second round pick. I mean, the Mavs haven't bought in since I think Dominique Jones. And what was that? 2011, 2010. That 
I, I think, uh, and I think it's 2011 actually. So I don't, I think <laughs> it's now's the time. The two, the GM that and the coach had reputations of not wanting young players, and it's. I don't know. I think sometimes there's, it's going to be a, a new era, and I think they're going to start it off right away, even if it's a lottery ticket at somebody who, like, I don't know, you see, like, Scotty Lewis. Why would you not take Scotty Lewis on this team, especially when you need wing defense? If he's there at 50, sign me up. I know that's not who we're talking about today, but you know, <laughs> just, like, a, a name to throw out there, it's like, do that if you're the Mavs. They need to start doing that instead of sitting by idly and hoping, you know, Luke Rittenauer is going to change the team. Yeah, well, and maybe, I don't know, maybe they decide they can get decent value for one of their role players uh, where they can then go get a nice, cheap, young talent in the draft uh, that they feel could help them. Uh, one of the guys we are going to talk about, and, and we could lead off with Chris Duarte, um, you know, if the NBA pulls another, oh, he's going to be a 24-year-old rookie, like, let's let that tank his stock, like, and he's there at the end of the first round for you. Uh, maybe you feel like he's a guy who could do, who, who could help you a little more than one of these oral players. Um, but again, it all depends on who they bring in uh, to be that GM slash, you know, president of basketball operations, and then who he eventually brings in as coach. Right. And I do think, uh, just as a preface for Duarte, I think, it should be noted he held himself out of the combine, which 99 out of 100 times, that means he probably got a promise in the first round. So Duarte will be a little bit harder to get for the Mavs. I I guess the question would be pretty much at that point, do you think Tim, or not Tim, sorry, uh, Dorian <laughs> and Maxi together as two could get you like a late mid first round pick? That's that's pretty much what it comes down to. I'm believing if you can get Chris Duarte. Yeah, so so let's go ahead and and get right into it. Uh, Chris Duarte, um, only two years at Oregon because I did. Did he play JUCO? Was yeah, it? he went to he went to some really small school for a couple of years. Okay, uh, six six one ninety. Again, he will be twenty four uh, during his rookie season. Uh, I think maybe even before uh, he ever he, steps on the floor. He just turned twenty four this week. Okay. Well, happy birthday, Chris. Uh, last year for Oregon, uh, played in 20 games, 34 minutes a game, uh, 53% from the field, uh, which is excellent for a guard slash wing uh, on 11 and a half attempts per game, 42 and a half percent from three on five and a half attempts per game and 81% from the line on three attempts per game. Good for 17 points, four and a half rebounds, 2.7 assists, two steals and close to a block per game. So um, let's let's kind of start with um, the offensively. Um, it's it's clear he's got a defined role as a shooter. Um, so why don't we start with the with the shooting? Um, is that something you're comfortable that will translate to the NBA level? Or are you a little worried that the year before he only shot around 33 percent? Yeah, not worried about that in the slightest. Um, his form is pretty fluid. There's nothing wrong. It does, it's not great, but there's nothing wrong with it. I, I don't really see anything mechanically, again, again, mechanically wrong with it. You know, the legs are good. The release is good. It's a high release. And he can also get into a shot pretty easily off the dribble, which is important. Uh, some really interesting stat. Also, he took 65 catch and shoot shots this year. Uh, no dribble catch and shoot. And he was... Uh, 48% on that, which is 95th percentile. So like 
really good shooter. That shot is, I, I can't see a way it doesn't translate. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I was kind of setting you up there, but, but I totally agree. It's <laughs> uh, mechanically very sound shot. Uh, and one that I think translates to shooting um, in a variety of ways, right? So you just talked about catch and shoot. Um, obviously, just, you know, the, we, we see all the time guys stand in the corner, kick out, shoot, knock it down, stand on the wing, kick out, shoot, knock it down. This is a guy you can run off of screens, off of pin downs. He can shoot off movement. And, and the form is very conducive to him having a lot of success there. And while I think there are a lot of good shooters in this draft, I'm really not sure how many I feel super comfortable saying, um, you know, run him around and let him shoot off of movement like that. Yeah. And also how many of them, sorry to, to kind of jump into another area, but how many of them can you also say that you can run them off ball at a high level and also be comfortable with them running a pick and roll and just leading the offense at a high level too? Right. Right. Not very it's many. It's a unique combination. Yeah, and that's why, despite the fact that he's 24 years old, that's why I'm not too worried about the age because I think you can you can bring him into one of these playoff teams right now, and you know let's just assume he had time to to learn the system and everything. You could put him into one of these playoff teams right now and say, okay, here's the role you're going to fill, and I believe you could fill it at a high level being a a legitimate three-point shooter uh, who can play defense, who can um, really actually score in a variety of ways. Um, and, and I don't, like, there's not much development needed there. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's very clear what role he can fill, and, and his skill set is already well-developed for that role. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of like you have to look at it and say, is someone who I'm taking that is 19 years old as a guard going to be better in five years as a pick and roll guard by that much more in like the areas, I guess, pick and roll and shooting than Duarte is now. Like, and I don't think you're going to find many that are better. Like what he does now is if he was a free agent, I mean, he's making 10 plus million right away, like just because of what he does at such a good level. And I know that sounds ridiculous saying that about a guy who's never touched an NBA for, but it is what it is. I mean, the guy has a clear role that is coveted in this league as a rotation shooter and ball handler. Yeah. So, so why don't you go into a little more depth on, on the ball handling and where you kind of see him fitting in in that regard? Yeah. So I don't think he does anything crazy with his handle. I don't see him as like a, you know, he's not going to break your ankles or anything, but he's also pretty careful with the ball. He has a tight handle enough where you don't have to worry about him taking, making a stupid uh, mistake, a very avoidable mistake. He's he's mostly mistake-free despite his assists and turnovers being almost equal. I think that had more to do with just his teammates weren't hitting his shots than him being reckless. But overall, I think his his playmaking is just really smooth and there's no flaws in it. It's not a not a guy who's going to make these high advanced reads and really like break guys down and one-on-one and everything, but he's also just not going not gonna to mess up. Yeah, I kind of agree. Um, nothing too flashy, but it's a tight handle. Um, and and you kind of, you know, hinted at the the passing ability earlier. Um, and, and that's something I agree with as well. I think he has good court vision, uh, can make basic reads quickly and efficiently. Um, but again, maybe not, you, you know, he's not making like these super high level, um, high level passes. 
Yeah, and and again, I mean, would you rather have someone making the Luka Doncic passes and pulling them off, or would you rather have someone who's going to average like one turnover per game? Like you look at Jalen Brunson. Granted, I know a lot of Mavs fans don't like how he gets his turnovers. He still averages like one turnover per game, and I'd rather, I'd almost rather have that in a backup guard, a mistake-free guard, than a guy who makes these crazy reads but is turnover prone for a backup. I should say, like, right. very much emphasize that. Right. Um, so, so some of the other areas I think um, he can help offensively. Really good finisher around the basket. Um, but my one concern is how he's going to get there consistently. I didn't see the quickest first step, uh, but I do think he cuts effectively, and that might be the way that he gets to the basket uh, and finishes at a high level. Yeah, I was going to say I really like how he gets – he's smart. It's the same thing. Like, he knows how to use the shooting to his, his advantage. It's almost gravity where he can pretend – he can almost do hammer plays, a fake hammer where he's – you know, cutting from below the rim out to the three-point line, the cut right back in, and it throws everybody off. Like, because you have to respect that shot so much that it opens up that shot. And, and on hoop math, according to them, there's their numbers are slightly off sometimes, but for the most part, it's a good ballpark. He shot 71% at the rim. If you're over 65% as a guard, you're great. If you're at 70%, almost at any position, you're elite at the, at the rim. Again, a little bit misleading. I don't. I, I like what you said. I don't think he's really breaking guys down, you know, one-on-one getting to the rim. But off ball, if he gets to the rim, it is a concern for defenses. Yeah, and he doesn't he's not like an elite leaper, but he hangs really well and he's strong. So he's able to finish through contact, uh, kind of absorb it. Um, and again, I think as a cutter, um, that that could be very valuable. Um, so let, let's go defensively. Uh, because I think part of his bread and butter is his ability to defend on the ball. And I actually think he can defend one through three pretty comfortably. Uh, but where are you on his defense? Yeah, I think it's only going to be some threes. But for the most part, if you were to say one through three, I think it's a pretty reasonable statement where I, I'm very comfortable one and twos. I think he can handle them. But threes, it'll depend. Like, I don't know how well he's taking. I mean, this is an extreme, but like someone with the build. I should say of Kawhi Leonard, like the six eight guy. I don't know. Like there's those are yeah, probably like, not. Yeah, some of them he can hang with them, but um, I, I think for the most part, yeah, one through three. And I I actually I'm not huge on his on ball defense. I think it's fine. I don't think it's necessarily great, but I love his off ball defense. Like the way he disrupts everything is just spectacular to me. Yeah. So so why don't you go into a little more detail there? Yeah. So nothing too crazy deep. I think it's just instincts are really on display. He can disrupt. He, I call him a defensive disruptor, that two-way disruptor where he's a three and D, but a little bit different because a lot of three and D guys get their prowess and their, you know, their, uh, what's the word, like their reputation off of on-ball defense. But Duarte is a little bit different. I, you said the two steals per game, it's a, it sticks out. Like he pokes the ball free. He really plays the passing lanes well, and not like in a gambling way. Like James Harden plays the passing lanes well. But he's not a good off-ball defender. Like, it's different. Duarte is good because he has those instincts. And I just really think he knows how to read plays before they happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, I apologize for for jumping around a little bit. But back to the offense, one area that that I think we we didn't really touch on uh, as much as, as he deserves is his ability to shoot off the dribble as well. So we talked about his shooting off the catch, and he's elite in that department. Um, 
But how many times this year do we see him kind of lull a defender to sleep, uh, take one drip, one hard dribble, whether it was to create a step back or going towards the basket and then stop on a dime and pull up? Um, the the fluidity there is real um, and and it's a threat and, and giving him another way to score uh, just, I think, adds to his offensive versatility. Yeah. And one thing that I also really liked is that he can hit. You know, a lot of guys prefer sidestep, especially righties. I think they prefer to do like step backs and sidesteps to the right. It's just a little bit naturally more comfortable than going to the left. Duarte can do both. And I don't know how many guys can say that in this draft where, you know, like you get a screen either way. You can either reject and go to the right or use it, go to the left. And most will reject, go to the right if they're a righty. I don't know. I, I think that really stands out. Like there was a like game versus Cal, which is unfortunate because that floor is a disaster. Uh, to watch a game on, but he was abusing him just doing that left and right to him. Granted, they're the worst team in the Pac-12, but still. Um, so we kind of went over all of my notes. Um, so before we get into where he's ranked and all that, did did you have anything else you wanted to add about him? No, I uh, I mean I know he's also he was a Pac-12 All Defense guy, so like the the recognition is there. It's legit, and he was also All Pac-12. Really, <clears> just I mean one of the most polished players in the draft. Okay, so where does he fall on the current Mavs draft big board? I got him 17th right now. It's about right at Desmond Bain, so kind of just applying the same logic. Okay, I have him 18. Um, So definitely feel you right there. Uh, Any teams in that range that you think are a good fit? Well, I was going to say Boston until they traded away. (laughs) Memphis has to be one. You look at... Tyus Jones is a nice backup point guard, but I've seen some people say the best backup point guard. I really can't get there. I think if you had a combo of a backup point guard and a guy who can also play really well with John Morant, you're describing Chris Duarte. Granted, they'll probably have enough room for being able to swing for the fences that they won't actually do that, but they are on paper a fit. And then one other, Washington, I really like that with Beal and uh, Russ. That's, That's ideal. Yeah, so, I mean, at the moment, OKC is right in there with two picks at 16 and 18, but I, I don't think it's a great fit. Uh, I think you're more likely to see them take some guys that could turn into superstars that, that might be more long-term projects. Um, you know, I actually wrote in my report, and, and I'm going to go ahead and pull it up real quick. I don't want to say report. In my notes. Me <laughs> last... one with Chris Duarte. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, the last sentence I wrote is, uh, I think Duarte's offensive output will take a minor hit in the NBA level due to his average athleticism, but he can really shoot it and defends well enough that I'd be comfortable taking him at the end of the lottery. Um, so despite the fact that I had him at 18, um, if you're a, you know, a San Antonio and in Indiana, even a Golden State uh, picking oh. in that territory, a team that you feel should uh, compete in the playoffs – next year then chris duarte makes a lot of sense can you imagine golden state say they say they get the fourth pick or like whatever or just in general the minnesota pick doesn't convey say they get moses moody and chris duarte not not at four sorry i shouldn't have said that but say they get like the sixth or seventh pick they get moses moody and chris duarte how do you even like i can't imagine both of like that's a lot of three and d joining the warriors think about think about the defensive like the three and d upside yeah 
Chris Duarte already moves really well off ball. And then you put him in Steve Kerr's system where it's designed, like you can play him exactly like Curry, obviously not going to have the same output, but like the same way you just move him and make defenses burn calories, basically guarding <laughs> him. Like that's, that's a dream. I wish the Mavs weren't in the West if this happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think all those places are good fits. Again, I hope that the NBA doesn't look at him and say, ah, 24, I don't know. Guy can play, just let him play. Um, last thing I want to see is a guy like that who is a picture perfect role player fall to the end of the first round and just beef up like, uh, you know, Clippers, Denver, Brooklyn, Philly, like that. Ah, they don't need any more help. Hey, well, Phoenix, Phoenix fits the bill. I mean, they drafted Cam Johnson in the lottery, and James Jones loves seniors, so. All right, anything else on Duarte, or should we move on? Nope, I'm ready to go to the next one. All right, so next up we got uh, Cam Thomas. Cam Thomas was the, I just had it, he was the freshman at Louisiana State, LSU. Uh, in 29 games this year, he played 34 minutes a game, shot 17 attempts uh, per game, uh, just over 40% from the field about 32.5% on seven threes a game, uh, and an 88% foul shooter on 7.6 free throws per game, good for 23 points, 3.4 rebounds, 1.4 assists, one steal per game. Um, So I think when you talk about Cam Thomas, the first thing uh, that comes to mind is the shot-making potential. Yeah, I think he's probably actually, all things considered, top three shot maker in the class. It's just he shoots himself in the foot when you hear the efficiency. Yeah, the efficiency is less than stellar. And when you watch the games, it, it's kind of funny. You see again, some of these shots he's taking, you're like, what are you doing? And then they go in and it's like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> but then he takes some other shots that are just major head scratchers. Yeah, I, I tweeted something, and I'm, I'm currently looking for it, but I can pretty much recite it uh, off of memory, which is uh, – or actually, I found it. So his shot selection was really bad, which is, like, far and away, I think, his biggest knock. No? Like, would you agree that's his that – Shot that selection? Knock on Cam? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. you're just chucking. So he shot 40.6% from the field this year. Just for fun, I said if you took out one bad shot per game, just removed one shot, like, just excused one miss per game – his field goal percentage goes up a solid two and a half percent, which makes him at 43%. If you had that score on 43% in college as a freshman, I think I'm actually looking at him a lot differently than flirting with 40%. Yeah, but you're removing a miss. Right, right. And and it's a big assumption. But the point is, though, is like if he tones down that shot selection, you, you're not getting a horribly inefficient player as he screams. Like he should have been more inefficient given his play style. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and teams in the NBA still need bucket getters, right? We saw that with the Mavericks. You need somebody who can say, you know what? Shots aren't falling. I'm going to shoot till they go in, right? Um, and I think confidence is something he doesn't lack. I think the question is going to be, whichever team drafts him, can you rein him in? Or is he just going to be a black hole of, I got the ball and the ball's going up. Yeah, that's what's going to be his difference maker is if he can actually improve his mentality 
Like if, that might have just been an LSU thing. For all we know, that could have been. Um, yeah, that could have been what they asked him to do. Yeah, that could have been like coach could have been saying, "Hey, you know what? You're our best scorer. You have the ultimate green light." And who knows if that'll translate? I mean, I, you look at you look at what guys like Jordan Clarkson are doing right now. Who that has always been his bread and butter is having that green light off the bench. He just won six man of the year. I don't know. I think there's a place for it. It's not ideal. It's not a franchise changer by any means, but it's it's got a place, that role. For sure. Um, so so what makes him, uh, when he is taking quality shots, what makes him such a dangerous shot maker? So, one, he can do step backs out to the logo. Um, that's not even exaggeration. The SEC tournament, he was doing it all all games. A little bit too much, but he also has a really strong floater. He can get to the rim. I fully believe that he's a three-level scorer. He has an insane level of shot creation, just really good bag, can rise up and shoot over defenders. I don't really see a flaw in his game in terms of skill set offensively outside of playmaking, like or as a scorer, I should say. As a scorer, he has no flaws. It's just his own mental shot selection. Like that's That's his flaw as a shot creator. Like that's very rare to say there's no skill flaws. Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily quite go there. Um, I think he's got decent quickness, but it's not high level. Uh, I don't think he can get to the basket whenever he wants the, the handle helps him in that regard. Cause he does have a tight handle. I think I forgot to mention he's six, four, two ten. by the way. Um, so you know, decent size for a combo guard, really strong. So when he does get to yep. the rim, uh, he's really tough to stop going to the basket. But he just settles too much. I think there are times when he does have the corner in, he just settles for for a pull-up jumper or a step back or he pulls it out. Um, so I, I would like to see him, um, you know, maybe drop a little weight, see if he can get a little bit quicker. Um and and I think that might help open things up for him uh, if he is able to get to the basket by his own creation a little more consistently. Yeah, and that's fair. I think one thing that does help him is with that handle, like he can stop on a dime, which helps a lot. And he has such a good floater that he can and he's utilized that combination a lot. I think that'll help him get to the rim where teams know they have to they can't just fully guard him to the rim and wait for him to go up, but like you can just stop at any moment and rise up over you. And he has such a good touch on the floater. Um, I think it's actually like better. If I remember correctly, his numbers are like similar to Emmanuel quickly's from last year, which is obviously very good company. Yeah. Very, very good company. Um, you talked a lot about quickly in that floater game last year, being one of the more elite traits in the class. Um, Obviously, I expect Thomas's numbers to improve because he's not going to be hounded the same way he was at LSU, at least not right off the bat. Obviously, if he's converting at a super high level, that'll change. Um, but again, I, I'm going to refer to something I wrote here in my notes, which is outside of volume scoring, I'm not sure what else he gives you. I do think he can develop into a bucket getter at the next level, potentially particularly off the bench and those players have a lot of value but I don't think he gives you much as a distributor or as a defender so why don't we talk about those two aspects of his game so so talk about him uh, as a potential distributor what you like what you don't like yeah it's pretty minimal um, sample size it feels like as a distributor 
he can kind of run the pick and roll, but he always looks to score first. So, and that's generally his offensive game is like when he can pass, he chooses to shoot. And it kind of, I don't know what his skill set actually is as his passer. What have you, what have you seen as a passer from him? Yeah, not much. Uh, I have to assume he doesn't have great court vision, but again, we don't, we don't know because yeah. uh, he's, he's taken bad shots instead of um, what I see as kind of basic read passes. Um, and, and yeah, he's shooting the ball instead. So is he a good passer? I don't know. Um, they're just, haven't been enough opportunities uh, at least for me to see uh, to see what he can do as a passer. So I have to assume I'm not going to get anything out of him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you're not, you're not putting him in the game to create for others. Like that's just plain and simple. That's never going to be his role. Okay. So how about, so go ahead, finish your thought. I was going to say the only other thing, like as long as he's not turning the ball over, which if I'm not mistaken, I I think he did a decent job of actually, like I know he had ball security issues going up for a drive, but yeah, I mean, only one, granted, he only only had 1.4 assists, Uh, 1.7 turnovers though, for a guy who has the ball in his hands that much, it's actually not bad if he can continue that and just not be, you know, reckless as a, in terms of turnovers. I right. think he's fine as a playmaker. Like it's not gonna that's his goal. It's just don't mess up as a playmaker. Yeah, for sure. Um okay, so as a defender. Um not it's great, not good. Not great, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, my notes I have I have two very strongly worded uh notes, and I think it summarizes the whole thing. One, defensive intensity is lacking, and he gambles on almost everything. Yeah, it seems like he's he's more or less just looking for um, for that kind of leak out uh, to see if he can, you know, go the other way and and get an easy basket. Um, Again, it's one of those situations where is that what he was asked to do because he's playing 34 minutes a night? He's the primary scorer. He's the primary ball handler, along with Javante Smart there. Um, But. Even the times where he did look like he was locked in playing defense, I, I just don't know about the lateral mobility. Um, the strength is a plus, so there's that. But, I mean, <laughs> just being real, I, I think he's probably a net negative defensively until I see otherwise. Yeah, the best the best outcome for him is that he plays against, you know, he's put up against the worst defender. Or, I'm sorry, worst offensive player as a defender. And you hope, you know, you hope they miss. <laughs> and you hope he gets steals. Like, that, that's that's literally it. If you put him on the worst player, let him play the passing lanes of free safety, that might be the best outcome for him if you can afford it. Like, if you put him if you put him in Utah, say for whatever reason, Utah wanted to sell high in Jordan Clarkson, they wouldn't ever do this. But, like, if they wanted someone who can, like, play Jordan Clarkson's role offensively and then play free safety because you can do it with Gobert and Mitchell and Conley, I don't know. That's that's like his best case, which is like highly unlikely. Yeah. So my next question was going to be, how do you hide him defensively? Yeah. That's probably the best way. Maybe a zone. Yeah. God. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't. I don't want to no hear positive. that word for the next six months. <laughs> One too many Boban minutes did it oh, to you. <laughs> I was going yeah, no, but I mean, I just I really don't know how you come out of Cam Thomas evaluation and go. Yeah, I trust him defensively. There's, there's just really no. I don't know. So, like, I, so where ahead. do you take a player that 
you're you're getting to say you're getting one skill is inaccurate because you're getting a, a legitimate three level score a guy who has you know lou williams type upside as a scorer um where do you take a guy like that if that's the only positive trait we've talked about yeah so i mean to be fair it's like an umbrella of traits right like it's all right. under one umbrella like a lot of right. guys have multiple umbrellas uh, the handle the shot the flow right. the finishing the, ability the range all of it right so right, i right. think for him it comes down to team needs and i don't think you touch him before 20 i think if you're because every team 20 to 30 except the two houston picks they're all playoff teams that are looking just to get roles right like if the clippers wanted him if since they moved on from lou will and they really don't have that bench scoring anymore that's not a terrible place i don't know how patient they are to do that but if there was a place that would teach him some patience next to Kawhi Leonard potentially and Paul George um, is, is quite the place to learn patience. You could also see Brooklyn. I mean, think about how they in the playoffs haven't granted it's a little different. I don't think he played major playoff minutes year one, but if you look at, you know, it's, it just makes it easier to take KD off the court. When you have a guy, I mean, KD just played 48 minutes in a playoff game because they had no other scores that could create their own look like any team that's 20 to 30 range. Will. They will right. in the future. They're going to have two more of those guys. It's just like when that doomsday happens, like they kind of do need someone who can just say like, hey, go real quick, limited burst, and just get a bucket. Yeah. Uh, what about on the other end of the spectrum with like an Oklahoma City? Do you think maybe at 16 or 18 he's worth taking the gamble? I don't know for Oklahoma City. I would actually say for a team that has more of a blank slate, like Houston, right? They have – I mean, whoever they get – depending on what happens in the lottery, actually, it's not even a guarantee they end up in the, in the lottery, but they really don't have like a cornerstone yet. They have Kevin Porter jr. Um, not sure how good of a fit that is, but I, I think someone like with a blank slate may, I mean, Oklahoma city, I just don't see as a blank slate is my whole thing. You put you let him get his numbers and kind of build value. And then you probably trade him as best case for one of those teams. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, where, where does he fall on your big board? He is number 27 right now. Okay. What about you? I, I have him at 21, but my big board consists of 25 players. So, <laughs> it's a little bit range, different range. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now granted, I don't foresee a lot of the players I'm watching to jump him. Maybe a couple will. Um, but like some of the guys that, that I still need to look at that could potentially jump him – uh, Jared Butler, Iodasunmu, um, Trey Mann, um, we'll have to do an IO episode because I, I actually moved him down into my forties. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, spicy take. Spicy. spicy take. <laughs> we should have a, a segment at the end, Richard, spicy take. I know. I know. I, I always now I have one. Now I feel like a contrarian or something. <laughs> I mean, you are, but it's what makes yeah, you great. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, all right. Do you have a, so, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Do you have a player comparison for him? I have some. So J.R. Smith? Like Nick actually, Young? Honestly, not a bad one with J.R. I, I put Jordan Clarkson, Lou Will, and Malik Monk, like shades of all three yeah. of those guys. Yeah. Malik Monk is probably the most realistic one because he's just like 
a fringe rotation player. Like, but like I'm that style, you know, like right. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna get buckets. Who is there was somebody else who came to mind and this is such an obscure one, but I wasn't I wasn't sure enough to actually put this guy, but I remember him being a bit of a chucker, which is Chucky Atkins. And I don't know why, like well, Chucky was also five eleven, so that's probably why I didn't put him. But yeah, <laughs> any one of that chucker mold, like I'm looking him up right now because oh man no he I know he the game the, so, the name rings a bell but he was so speedy he played with Denver um, Memphis uh, he played with Allen Iverson I think in Denver and okay. Detroit I think he was part of those trades is how he got famous but Speaking he played with Allen Iverson I went to on my I went on a minor league baseball tour this week and we we stopped at the Round Rock outlets and we stopped at Reebok and I picked oh up God. this shirt. It says the question hotline one eight hundred five 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 crossover like it's X O V R. That is oh my god. <laughs> I think it's a great shirt. I'm looking at that's elite, dude. Oh my god. I, I, I picked that up today. My favorite player growing up, so I'm jealous. Yeah, uh, they had a, a couple of his um, of the questions. Um, they had a low pair and a mid pair um, in the store. Um, but I didn't really love the colorway, so had to pass. Dang. Yeah, that's a sick shirt, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, we got a little sidetracked. Anything else on Cam Thomas? I think we're probably ready to wrap no, up here. No, uh, I think he's, you know, bucket getter, but that's all. Like, I think we covered him pretty well. All right, so I think we'll wrap things up. Um Next time going forward, well, first of all, hopefully next time it's not like two more weeks. Uh, I, I think I'm mostly done with vacations for the most part. I have a couple weddings, but it is what it is. Um, we uh, let's also next time get another mailbag going. Um, that'll be a good way to to fill the last segment of the show. Um, and um, let us know who you guys want to hear about next. Um, if you're listening on Apple, give us a nice review, five stars, um, or whatever you think is appropriate. Hopefully five stars. That's our goal. Um, Richard, any any final thoughts? No. Um, these are two guards that I do expect to be going near each other. But one of them is, if you're looking for – I mean, who do you think has – I guess I should have asked this, like – what is Cam Thomas's full upside? I, I meant to ask this one question. I'm so sorry. I mean, his full upside is six man of the year, like that kind of player to me, like a legitimate like Lou Will type player. Who would you Who would you rather have if you get both of their ceilings hit? Uh, Chris Cam Duarte? Thomas. Yeah. If both ceilings hit, it's Cam Thomas. But I, I think Duarte is closer to a ceiling, and I'm just not sure how feasible it is that Thomas. Right reaches his it's totally possible uh i just think it's more likely that that duarte hits his and the reason i have him slightly higher is i just feel more comfortable that he's going to uh achieve in that role that like like succeed in the role that i envision for him yeah i i I, I think i agree pretty pretty much with you sorry i meant to ask that earlier not not at the last second of the show It's a good question. Um, Well, if you don't have anything else, um, I think that about wraps it up. Go ahead and follow Richard at Mavs Draft. Um, 
his uh, his website, MavsDraft.com. He's still putting out tons of scouting reports there that you can go read. Um, you can also listen to the podcast on there. Although if you're if you've gotten this far, you you already have a way of listening. <laughs> so that's relevant. Uh, you can follow me at Jared underscore Cats thirty, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time.